0: Amen, amen. Man, I am so excited for today. We are wrapping up a four-part series um, called Passion for His Presence. And it's really an invitation. All month long here in January, we've been going, hey, let's become a people who are passionate about the presence of God. It's not something that just happens to us, like you wake up one day and you're all of a sudden passionate. It is an actual decision that we make day in and day out to have practices in our life that actually build passion practices and routines that actually grow that fire inside you. I think of it as a fire all the time. It's like if if anybody ever in the room built a fire before, some of you like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts or whatever, maybe that was totally the wrong thing to say. I don't know. But uh, uh, you know, to build a fire, it starts small with kindling. You know, you need just little bits of wood. But as the fire grows, if you don't add wood to the fire, the fire goes out. And these practices are like that. If you don't add to your life, the practices of fasting, like we, we talked about early on. In fact, today is day 21 of a 21-day fast. Can we put our hands together for everybody that's been fasting? Man, what a joy to see God just drawing so many things out. But a, a practice of fasting puts your, your body in a place of intentional suffering where you are able to uh, draw closer to God, hear from God in a more sensitive way. You're able to experience Him in new and more powerful ways. Uh, We talked about prayer. Prayer is a practice. That's another log on the fire of your soul, building this passion for the presence of God. We talked about last week uh, engaging in Scripture in a passionate way, hearing from God through His Word and asking Him to speak in your life. Today, I want to talk about worship. Worship is another one of those practices. And When I talk about worship today, um, many conversations happen about worship that are... Oh, you know, make your life a life of worship when you work, when you parent. When, and I agree with all of that. But today I'm talking specifically about moments where there's music, there's singing, when, when we are intentionally um, verbalizing to God who he is and what he's worthy of and how powerful and good and loving and kind and gracious and compassionate and merciful he is. Did I go too fast? Sorry about that. <laughs> you got it. You got it. But that is worship, and that's what I want to talk today about is that those practice of, of intentionally singing, honoring God with our words, with making music, with making a, a decision in our hearts to worship God that way. My wife and I have been passionate about worship uh, really ever since we've kno- known each other. I mean, it was um, early on in our lives, God began to encounter us in moments like this, um, times where we were just spending time with God in prayer and in worship. And In fact, the first time she ever saw me, um, we, we've uh, joked about this before, but I was engaged in worship. We were at, at our university um, in our Bible school. It was a Bible school. So it was like summer camp um, for Christians for like four years straight. If you know what I'm talking about, it was just like worship, prayer, Bible teaching. I mean, it was just like this environment that felt like summer camp for four years straight. And the first time she ever saw me, she tells me about this all the time. No, not kidding. She, she, but she does talk about this. Was I was standing in the front row with my hands worshiping God, and I had no idea that there was, you know, this beautiful woman behind me seeing who, like, who's that guy up there? And, you know, it was like the Holy Spirit just, like, shown this, you know, amazing, glorious, like, there's your man, you know, <laughs> and... <laughs> She doesn't quite tell it that way, but that's how I imagine that moment in my in my mind. And uh, one thing I'm thankful for is that uh, as uncute as the guy might be, if he has a passion for Jesus, man, you can marry up because of worship. Can I say amen to that? All right. And uh, I'm so thankful that God um, uh, showed me her to me and, or me to her in that moment. And, and uh, it really ever since the beginning, our, our life and our marriage has been couched in these moments of worship have been so important for us. In our relationship with God, in the practice of becoming more and more passionate about the presence of God, and I want to teach you that passion today. I want to call you into that that desire today, into a place where you are focused and intentional on practicing worship as a part of who you are spiritually, and not allowing your soul to grow dim and your passion and that fire to go out in your heart because. Maybe your life is too cluttered or you don't feel like worshiping or difficulties and anxieties have consumed you. Worship is such a powerful moment for us to break through all of that and put our attention and our focus on God. This conversation for me is grounded in a fundamental belief that I believe that you and I are shaped by God for worship. The way that you are made is for your soul and your heart and your mind to give attention to someone or something. And when we are giving our attention to that thing or that person, we are attempting to find some sort of fulfillment, satisfaction, some level of peace. Um, We want that thing or that person to bring us a a measure of levity or a sense of purpose or a sense of fulfillment that maybe we don't have. And and we're always reaching out in our soul to different things, to to people. Uh, This happens in, in, in relationships all the time. We look to a to fulfill us. We look to a a boyfriend, girlfriend to bring that level of peace. We look to uh, uh, maybe success in a job, accolades at work, the perfect marriage, the perfect kids. We find these things to begin to ascribe worth to. And then if we're not careful, we start to look to them as the source of satisfaction for our soul and our heart and our minds. And God knows this about us. And so, so much of scripture The Old Testament specifically is is just chocked full of commands for his people, for God's people to worship, to worship him. In Exodus chapter 20, this is is God calling us to a place of worship and directing our worship to the place that it belongs. He says, God spoke all these words, and he says, I am the Lord your God. He's speaking to his people. He says, "Who, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, And he says to his people, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You see the little g in this passage. That's a symbol for understanding that there is things and people in our lives that we have a tendency to worship and ascribe worth to and try to focus our attention on that would maybe bring us fulfillment. And God's saying, don't have any other thing or person ahead of me in your heart. Don't allow them to be in that position. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. Interesting uh, choice of words there, God, that you would say jealous. Oftentimes we think of jealous in a kind of a negative, maybe a, a, a bad boyfriend type sense or whatever. And, and that's not at all what God is saying right here. He's speaking to his relational nature, that he made us for relationship with him and us for relationship uh, to be connected. And you hear his longing in this wording that he wants to be close to us. He wants to be that fulfillment and that satisfaction in our lives. He wants to be the one who actually directs and leads our lives. In fact, what's amazing about our God is that he is the one that knows what's best. He has good plans for our lives. He has purpose for us. He has the ability to fulfill us and sustain us and make us the people that he longs for us to be like a parent with a child. You are jealous for your kids to experience the life that God has for them, aren't you? You want what's best for them. That's this, this tone right here of this passage. And so, so, so look at this as a command of God going, don't allow your worship to leak out to these other places. Don't establish something in your heart that you've set up as an idol or a God to try to find fulfillment or satisfaction in. Don't allow your heart to go there. Look at Psalm 29, verse 2. He says, the psalmist says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. I love that, that language. That means that who God is, his nature, his character, his very essence demands worship. That God actually is is worth worshiping. He has glory that is due his name because of who he is, what he has accomplished, the way he's loved, the way he's served, the way he's sacrificed, the way he's died in our place, the way that, that God has continued to love and pour out mercy and grace and provide in our lives. There's so much that God is worthy of and so the psalmist says, I want you to intentionally, in real life, I want you to ascribe to him this glory that is due to his name. When you think of the word ascribe, think of describe to him. Then I want you to tell him what he's worthy of, how good he is, how great he is, how, how amazing he is. Does that make sense? That, that you and I would be intentional about using words this way. This is worship. This is Oscar. You know what? God, you are so worthy of my honor, my glory, the, the praise that I bring to you. He says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 95, 1 and 2 says, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. So here's that practice. Let us actually sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So singing and shouting is actually like biblically really critical for us. Anybody introverted and hate being loud and obnoxious in the room? Okay, we're going to stretch you today a little bit, so you shouldn't have put your hand up. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. It, it, is, it is so important for us to recognize this as an, as an intentional practice, that we would come and sing, that we would shout to the God of our salvation, the rock of our salvation, that we would see him worthy of this kind of effort and this kind of work of our hearts. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. What's so critical about music is that there's an emotional level of connection that happens in music that doesn't happen any, any other time in human interactions. We're relational beings and we have words for things, but oftentimes our emotions get lost in the words oftentimes um, they fall short of what we're really feeling and what we're trying to communicate. We might just use more words to try to explain better what we mean, but if, but if there was just an ache or a longing inside of us that could just get expressed with a song or with a, with a note or with a tone or with maybe even a groan, that there would be this, this depth to what we're trying to communicate. Song becomes this powerful tool where it's not just about the words that are being sung, but it's also about the emotion and the, 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 the power of what's coming out of us in our expression to God. You you know what I'm talking about. Music can be powerful, powerful moments. I want you to look at Psalm 63.3 with me. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you today, so I hope you're grabbing some of these. Uh, he says, because your love is better than life, my lips will by you. I just think how important that we understand that this, act, this practice, if you're gonna learn worship and engage in worship, it takes active words, like using your lips, using a song, clapping your hands, actually being expressive with what is going on inside of your heart. And for many of us that, that are kind of maybe more reserved or maybe you, you have been in a church kind of situation or setting where it's like expected that it's quiet and kind of calm and reverent, you know, like this, like, don't tip over anything. Don't, you know, don't like for, for me, when I read these passages, I go, God, there's, there's a stretching that you want to do in us. You, you want to call us out of maybe those places of comfort or those places of, of, of quietness. And you want to call us to a place of expression. And worship becomes an invitation for us to to actually express to God the glory, the worth, the worthiness of who he is. And so I want to talk to you a little more about the practice of this worship and and really how we do this as a church. In Psalm 100, um, David writes to God's people. He says, shout for joy to the Lord. (laughs) Can many of the room just lift a shout to God right now? Can you just try this? Woo! Yes, he is so good. He is so worthy. Like, like, think of what that does. That lifts your soul, doesn't it? Like, man, I just got to shout. Like, you, you go to some of these sports games, and, and people are fanatical about people running around with a leather ball, right? Like, like they are painting their faces today for these championship games. Like, like it is So to see the world actually more passionate than we are. And we're talking about the God of the universe, right? The one who died to save us from our sin. Like it's so, it's so crazy to me that the shouting is so expected in those kind of circles. But you get into this kind of circle when we're talking about the God of the universe and we find ourselves so solemn and quiet and reserved and and how essential shouting is to this, this sacrifice of worship. He said, "Shout uh, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Here's another thing to practice, smile. Can you just smile today? Maybe look at a couple people around you and smile. Like this is a stretch for some of us. Like I see your arms still crossed, scowling at me. I can, we have lights on in here. I'm not smiling. It's okay. It's okay. This gladness. I think about gladness, how intentional that is. To be focused on the things that fill us with joy. To, to, To not allow the brokenness and the pain of circumstances to be the thing that just dictates our life and our thoughts and our words. Like, Like sometimes we end up worshiping our problems because that's all we talk about. That's all we think about. That's all we are rehearsing is how broken life is and some gladness in your heart is an intentional choice to go, yeah, but what do I have to be thankful for? What do I have to to focus on that God has been so good in, in my life? Shout for joy, bring this gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. I love this language, know. Know that the Lord is God. It's so central that, that we are established on the truth of who God is. All good worship comes from the truth of who God really is. This is why scripture, what we talked about last week is so central to worship is that we're able to, to know with certainty that God is good. He is faithful. He has plans for your life. He has purpose for you. He has peace. He has so much grace for you. He has a gift of his son for every single one of us. All of this is truth that fills our worship with, with content, with, with something that we can stand on firmly and be established in and not be shy about, but be courageous about that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know that the Lord is God. Feels it with so much power. He says, it is he who made us and we are his. So cool. Like when you worship, you're worshiping from a place of freedom. You're not worshiping from a place of, of fear and trepidation. Oh God, don't, don't smile, whatever that fear might be. But you're worshiping from a place of acceptance that you are his, that he's loved you that he's chosen you and called you and anointed you and has purpose for you. I love this, that, that is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's how you enter into the presence of God, with thanksgiving, with this gratitude in our hearts. God, you are so faithful and I am so thankful that you have saved me, that you have loved me, that you've called me by name, that you have given me purpose and so much life, Lord. Like, Think of what this does to your day. Thanksgiving, this gratitude just lifts your heart, lifts your mind, lifts your perspective. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Can you just put your hands together and just thank God. Thank God for his faithfulness from generation to generation. He is so good. He is so good. He's so worthy of our praise. This is part of the intentionality behind worship is that there's shouts, there's clapping, there's joy, there's gladness, there's smiles, there's singing, right? Like this is how simple worship is. Let's look at the spiritual side of it a little bit more. John chapter 4, Jesus is talking with a woman uh, who is, has really no idea who Jesus is. Like some of you in the room today, really no concept of what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. And Jesus is revealing himself to her like he is to many of you in the room today. And in this conversation, she's got questions and confusion because she grew up in a religious system that was different than the religious system Jesus grew up in. And they begin kind of dialoguing and talking about the differences. And, and she has kind of concerns about this. And Jesus begins to engage with her. And I love that about Jesus. He's not mad because she has questions. Like for you too. Like he's not upset that you have concerns or you know, there's uncertainties in your heart about who and how much he loves you and all those kinds of things. But he he just begins to move past all of the previous division because there's two different people groups here, the Samaritans and the Jews. And she's like, well, we worship on that mountain and you guys talk about worshiping on that mountain. And so which one is it, Jesus? Is it supposed to be here or there? How's this all supposed to go? And Jesus just presses right past those walls of division, those ruts of religion. And he begins to just... Invite her into a a whole new way. There's a new season coming, he says. He says, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Think about this. God is looking for these kind of people. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, God is spirit, so his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. It's not one or the other, it's both. And our team was kind of wrestling through, what does this mean? What does this look like to worship in spirit and truth? I think truth is in central. I said it a minute ago, you got to know that you know that you know, right, that the Lord is God for your worship to be on a firm foundation and from the place that's really accurate. But here, this conversation about truth is so central that we know that, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God in the person of Jesus. Like Jesus is the fulfillment of all the truth of who God is and what he came to accomplish. The, w- the way that he has loved us and made us for a relationship with him and the way that he sent his son because our sinfulness was separating us from God. He sends his son, Jesus, here to earth to walk sinless and perfect and actually become a substitution for our sin and take on the weight of our sin and shame and condemnation and go to the cross and die on the cross, the death. You and I deserve to die. They would actually willingly die that in our place and, and, then, and then go to the grave, bury all of that condemnation with him there in the grave and then resurrect from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death. Like the truth of who Jesus is brings worship to the center of our hearts. This truth of who this woman is talking to right now is the most life-changing truth you could ever be confronted with, the name and the person and, and the, the salvation that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. This truth is essential and essential to worship. There was a time when Jesus' disciples were shouting and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, glory to God in the highest. And all the religious people were like, shh, you need to call, tell your people to calm it down. Like those, those people are a bit crazy out there. And Jesus is like, listen, if these guys aren't singing, then the rocks are going to cry out. That's the truth, right, is that God is so worthy of worship that even the rocks will sing his praise if his people don't get it figured out. That's crazy, isn't it? Like, that's the truth. And this truth is so central to us worshiping. But there's also spirit. He says spirit and in truth. And why? Because he says God is spirit. And so worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What, what is this? God is a, is a relational spirit that he actually has this spirit of, of his soul and his longing and his desire for connection with you and I. And you and I have inside of us this is what makes us made in the image of God is that we have a spirit inside of us, a soul inside of us that longs for connection with God. And so it's not just about knowledge and understanding, but it's about this connection of our soul to God's soul, of our spirit to his spirit, the depths of us to the depths of him, deep crying out to deep, that there's this, there's this intimate relational connection, and this is why music is so powerful, because it gives us that connection beyond words, beyond just the truth of knowing and understanding, but like the longing, the aching, the the groaning, the, the, the wordless places in our hearts, that that is able to be voiced through music, and the spirit connecting to the spirit is so central for worship. This is what it looks like to worship in spirit and in truth, but in Hebrews chapter 12, the author here gives us one more admonishment when it comes to worship that I want us to, to focus on for just a minute today. Again, I know I'm th- flying through a bunch of passages, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. says, therefore, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love this. Again, he's grounding worship in truth. The fact that you and I are being invited into a kingdom that will never crumble. In all the uncertainty that you face in your life, there is a certainty about the kingdom of God. Anyone that puts their faith in Jesus is invited to be a part of this eternal kingdom, this kingdom that will last forever, this kingdom that has no end, this kingdom that cannot be shaken by circumstances or politics or pain, sickness, difficulty in our lives. None of that can shake the kingdom of God. And since we're being invited into this kingdom that cannot be shaken, listen to this. He says, let us be thankful and so worship God. Acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The idea that there's an acceptable way to worship God means there's also unacceptable ways to worship God. Right, the contrast is true as well. And, and this language uh, reminds me of Genesis chapter four, when Cain and Abel, these first brothers, um, were asked by God to bring an offering to God. Worship is, is this, it's a, it's a sacrifice that we bring to God as a response to what he has done and is doing in our lives. And one of the brothers brought an acceptable offering and the other brother brought an unacceptable offering. God received one and didn't the other. The one that he didn't receive, that brother got all angry at his brother for bringing an acceptable one and killed him. It was a great, gory, horrible story, right? It's clear like sin destroys relationships. But in this story, in this account, you can see clearly that there was an expectation from God of what acceptable is. And it was this. It was the first and the best. One brother brought the first of his produce. And he brought the best of his flock. He didn't bring the leftovers. He didn't bring it when he got around to it. This says about the other brother, in the course of time, he brought an offering when he got around to it. And so when you and I are admonished in Hebrews 12 to, to bring God this acceptable worship with reverence and awe, there is a, an understanding here that what we get to participate in collectively as a church and a small group setting in your daily time with the Lord, just you and him one-on-one. All these settings are settings for this kind of worship, music, singing, thanksgiving, shouting, clapping. All of this can happen in these kinds of moments, but there's an expectation that God has on us when we bring these offerings to bring a sacrifice that actually is, is filled with reverence and awe that it's our first and our best. Think about Sundays. The church Uh, early on in in church history, moved um, the, the sacred day from Saturdays to Sunday. It's the first day of the week. It's the day of resurrection for Jesus. It's the day that begins and sets the course for the rest of the week. Think about getting up early and giving God the first part of your day, not, not when you're tumbling into bed at night and you can barely keep your eyes awake and, oh, God, I'm going to try to read and spend some time with you, and you fall asleep. you know, like osmosis on the Bible or whatever, right? Like, like I used to study like that too, you know, like I didn't get very good grades. And, uh, uh, you know, there's that, there's that temptation just when we get around to it. And when I hear this passage, there's a reverence and an awe that God asks. He says our God is a consuming fire. Worship is always gonna cost us something. Maybe you're shy. It'll cost you your shyness. Maybe you're introverted. It'll cost you a little bit of that. Maybe maybe, maybe you don't really like to sing. That's why I sit up front because nobody can hear me up front, right? It's gonna cost you something. And I think that that sacrifice is central to, to an act of worship that's acceptable. Reverence and awe are really practical. When you revere someone or something, there is a preparation in your heart and your mind that you do to get ready for that moment, isn't there? Oh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put on some clothes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the stuff out of my teeth, right? Like I'm, I'm preparing. That's reverence. Many of us, we get around to, you know, moments in God's presence when we get around to them, And if, if we kind of casually stumble into him, maybe, maybe we just find ourselves not ever experiencing the power and the presence of God in a real and a life-changing way. And we're like wondering, God, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here, but you're not bringing me an offering that's acceptable. You're not bringing me something that costs you something. You're not bringing me something that you're prepared for. You're not revering me and in awe of me. You think about the word awe. There's this sense of like, oh, dear God, I can't even believe that I'm in your presence. Solomon wrote, oh, God, when I enter into your courts, may may my words be few. I love that language. Like, who am I? I? I'm a little man. You're God in heaven, and here I am on earth. May my words be few. I don't got nothing to say. You're the God of the universe. I'm here in your presence, and I am so privileged to be here with you. You are consuming fire that you would allow me to be here in your presence, God, is such a gift. Thank you, God, that you would choose to meet your church in moments like this. God, what a gift that you would meet us in these times and allow us to experience your presence, that you would speak, that you would lead, that you would direct, that you would forgive, that you would heal, that you would move in times like this. God, what a gift. This is awe. That our hearts are in this place of, of understanding, like, God, we don't deserve to be here, but you allow us to be here. And God, are just so thankful, God, that we're receiving a kingdom that is not being shaken. A couple things I want to just give you today, practically. Here in all this theology, um, I think about what kind of church we are and what kind of people we are a lot. I think about this, my wife and I talk about this all the time, because I... When we came to plant this church, you know, 13 years ago, whatever, there was a dream that God put in our heart of the kind of people that we wanted to become, the kind of the kind of church that we wanted to be because there was a sense and a burden in our heart that why we came was to see this city changed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ that souls would actually be saved. That we wouldn't be another church that just occupies a corner of some real estate that just does their religious thing that has no impact on their city. We actually want to see the love of God change the city of Spokane through people like you and me. And what that means is not that we have the perfect programs and we do the perfect outreaches and we preach the perfect sermons and have the perfect worship music, but it means what kind of people are we really on the inside? Are we the kind of people that are passionate about the presence of God and actually want to see our God lifted high, want to worship him acceptably, want to see people drawn to God in a miraculous way, want to fill this room with worship where people that are far from God walk in here and they can't even explain it, but the presence of God just fills them to an overflowing place. Like like what kind of people are those people? I want to encourage us that God wants to shape the inside of you, the motive of you, the very essence of you. And that takes you making decisions. You and me going, God, I want to bring you an offer and I want to bring you worship that's acceptable. A couple things I would encourage us in as a church just to, to get better at in this idea of worship. One, come prepared. One of the top Three responses when we're shaking hands and talking around. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. And you know, I think those are all realities. Maybe you stayed up too late or you're stressed out and so you're not sleeping well and there's things that are kind of overwhelming you and your life is a struggle and all of this. But what I'm asking us to do is to think, you know, bigger than those things that we're navigating right now in our life. That we're actually walking in here on a Sunday prepared to bring God an offering to bring him an acceptable offering. Your life is much more like a um, thermostat than a thermometer. You've heard this language before. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm tired. You're telling me what temperature your soul is at, right? What if you set the temperature? What if you made a decision to go, you know what, I am tired. Maybe I need to sleep a little bit earlier on Saturday nights, right? You, you sleep in by going to bed earlier. Maybe I need to do something, to prepare my heart to be in here with, with a sense of, of opportunity, not with obligation. That you actually need to set the temperature of your heart and your mind and go, you know what, I'm going to bring a sacrifice that's acceptable to God today. Think about what would change in our church. We walk through these doors not to just get something but to bring something with us to our God. That we came to bring an offering, to bring a sacrifice of praise, that we came to bring an offering that's acceptable to our God. Like that would change the. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Like like people are excited to be in these seats and fill in this place and a long ways and do whatever we have to do because an opportunity today to worship our God. Like here's what's crazy about making our church that kind of a church is it happens in, in the heart of each one of us. It's not gonna just magically change that way. It's gotta be you and I making decisions to become a different kind of people. And we prepare for these moments together. The atmosphere. Lastly, I would just encourage you this way is that you may have a lot in your soul of passion and excitement for the Lord. A lot of worship tends to be using words, physical activity, kneeling, raising your hands, shouting, clapping. These are all things that take the, the outward experience, align it with the inward thing that God is doing. Does that make sense? And it's really that that true worship, do we need another one, guys? All right. True worship is us taking that what's on the inside and aligning the outside of our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our expression with what's going on on the inside. Have that alignment. So I want to encourage you as we're worshiping to putting your hands in the air, to be, be clapping and praising God, to be shouting, to be exclaiming to God, the goodness and the glory. At the same time, I want to encourage you at this. The other side of that could be some of you are really good at that and Maybe you need to make sure that you're not being a a distraction to somebody around you or making yourself a a spectacle in those kind of moments that really this is our attention on God, not on somebody. This is a family here that we're trying to build together. So I want to encourage you that way. Some of you need to bring a little more and some of you need to kind of make sure that you're not the the, the distractor of everyone around you. And I think that that those couple of pieces could totally change the environment of how we worship, why we worship, and the passion that God puts in your soul. That's that's really what this discussion is about, is having a practice that actually fills your heart with a passion for the presence of God. I wanna be a people that are passionate about God's presence, not lackadaisical, but consumed with the desire for God to move in powerful and miraculous ways. We set aside some time here to actually spend extended time in worship together and practice what we're preaching about right now. So I'm gonna gonna pray in a moment, but before we do, I just can't help but think that there are some of you in the room that don't have a relationship with Jesus and today God is speaking to you and he's drawing you to himself and you're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. If you're in that spot today, here, here is my encouragement to you. Start in a place of repentance. God, I need a savior. I can't save myself. Man, at that place of, of humility before God, then begin to receive his love, receive his goodness, his, his mercy on your life. Receive Jesus as Lord, Savior of your life. There is no stipulations on like, where you're at in your life to receive the love of God. His love is unconditional. It's boundless no matter where you've been or what you've done. His love is here for you today. And everybody in scripture that puts that, their faith in Jesus that way is baptized right on the spot. So we'd love to help you take that step today. As we sing here in a few minutes, that's gonna be your, your chance to head to the back. Our team will meet you there. We'd love to talk you through baptism and walk you through what that looks like and actually pray with you and help you take that step today at the end of this service. We cannot wait to celebrate with you. Would you stand to your feet with me today, real life? Maybe me just open your hands in a posture of surrender before the Lord, close your eyes. God, we are desperate for your presence. Each of us have so many things that are swirling in our minds today. Yet, God, you seem to be here in the midst of all of that, moving, working, speaking in our lives. We just thank you for that, God. Maybe you just need to take a deep breath for a moment in the room and just exhale all the things that are worrying you and tying you up in knots. All the distractions, all the fears. Let me just take one more deep breath and just invite God to fill your heart and your soul, to fill this room with His presence. Jesus, you are so worthy of praise, God. We don't have enough words or enough lifetimes to tell of your goodness and your glory God we don't have enough to express God how amazing you are Jesus I pray that as we just bring you an offering right now of worship that you would fill this room with your glory and your goodness God God as we bring you this sacrifice of praise God that you would just be honored God that every heart in this room would be pure every motive would be pure God every Every one of us, God, would just be in a posture of humility and awe. God, reverence before you as our God. You are so good. God, we just come prepared right now in this moment to honor you, Jesus.